The following talk is from St. Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. We're going to head to the part of our service where we're turning to what the Bible says, and uh, so feel free to pick up the Bible that's in front of you. We'll edit in a second. Ed is going to come and give us our sermon in Acts chapter 20. Before that happens, Katie is going to come and read to us. Did I say Acts? I meant Exodus. So yeah, Exodus chapter 20. Um, We're going to read 1 to 21, so that's page 77 that we're starting on. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbour. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Thank you ever so much. Keep that open in front of you, and let me send these handouts around. So we're thinking about the Ten Commandments, and we're working our way through them. We looked at the first commandment last week, and uh, now we're on to the second commandment. But before then, uh, there are a few things I want to say just about commandments and about God's law and the place of how grace and law work together in in the life of the Christian. So uh, I'll come to that in just a moment. Um, Hopefully the handouts got near all of you. Uh, Let me lead us in prayer, and let's ask for God's help as we come to his word. Father, thank you so much that you are the God who reveals yourself to us. You are the great revealer. 
And Lord, we pray this evening that you might show us more of yourself. And uh, Lord, particularly where we've misshapen you, where we've had a diminished understanding of you or a lopsided understanding of you. Lord, please tonight, by your spirit, through your word, would you correct us and help us to see you and to worship you as you really are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, it is easy to feel a little bit nervous as we think about the Ten Commandments and the place of law, as it were, commands in the life of the Christian. And uh, we might be thinking, as we thought last week, Christianity, isn't it all about a relationship, not about rules? And uh, what I thought is just to give a little recap on some of the things we were thinking about last week, but also just to progress it a little bit further as well. And you'll see two boxes there, uh, which I hope will help us think a little bit about the place of law, as it were, in the life of the Christian. Uh, So the box on the left uh, talks about two ways in which we can get it wrong and one way we can get it right. And these were the ways we thought a little bit about last week. So here's a refresher. Uh, It is wrong to break God's laws, God's ways, God's commands. That is a wrong thing to do. That is what we might call lawlessness. Uh, It is effectively rejecting God as our king and saying, I'm going to do things my own way. And we thought last week a little bit about how that's like the younger brother in the parable of the prodigal son who uh, went away into wild living and rejected uh, the ways of his father. But also there's another way of getting it wrong with the law. And that is what we could call legalism. And that is also making a mistake. Legalism, it doesn't um, love the law itself. But it uses the law for selfish gain. Uses the law for selfish gain. Using the law to gain favor. If I work my way up and I do these things... um, then I can expect certain things back from God. Uh, And again, we saw the example of the elder brother in the prodigal son last week. We thought about how he just was really obedient in order to get the father's stuff, not because he just loved doing the right thing. And again and again in the Bible, legalism is um, highlighted especially by Jesus, because it's so lethal. Because it can look all good on the surface, but actually we're doing it for the wrong motives. We're doing it actually to get something from God for ourselves, rather than because we love following his ways. So we don't want to be about lawlessness. We don't want to be about legalism. What we want to be about is lawfulness, obeying God, following his ways. In other words, being like Jesus. That's what it means. To to obey God's law is simply to seek to be like Jesus. Jesus was the perfect righteous one. He was the perfect law keeper. He kept God's laws. He didn't sin. He didn't transgress. He was not a legalist either. He just did the right thing because he loved to do it. He delighted in God's law. And when we are lawful, we're simply following God. Jesus. Now, it's important to say, of course, none of us get this right. 
We all fall down all the time. And there is no way that we can get right with God through being good. We're slaves to sin. That's the whole point of the book of Exodus, actually. The first half of the book of Exodus talks about how we're slaves to sin, uh, just as the Israelites were slaves to Pharaoh. <clears throat> we need a rescue. And the chronology of the Ten Commandments is incredibly important. Uh, did you notice that as we read through that? Same reading we had last week, because uh, it's so important just to see how this works out. At the beginning of chapter 20, verse 1, God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Just highlighting what's happened in the last 19 chapters about how God has rescued his people. First, he's rescued them out of slavery. And then he says, now you shall have no other gods before me. And then he goes on and gives the other 10 commandments. Incredibly important, that chronology. First the rescue, and then this is how you're to live. And that shape is even more true for us as Christians. First, we are rescued by grace alone, not through us being able to work our way into God's good books. We just cannot do that. First, we're rescued. And then God says, now live like this. Now live for me as your Lord and Savior. Follow Jesus. Live in his ways. Now, that's uh, the left-hand box. The right-hand box is another way of helping us understand the place of the law in, in our, our world today. Uh, three images, bridle, mirror, light. And uh, these, are, these are ideas that particularly the reformers uh, came up with in the 16th, 17th century, ways of understanding the law. I think it's really, really helpful, uh, these three ways of understanding how God's commands are to be understood by us in the world today. Uh, the first is there's a bridle. Won't spend too much time on this. But this is, uh, you know what a bridle is? Anyone ride horses? Anyone seen a horse being ridden? There we go. We all now know what a, what a bridle is. You know, it's on the horse. And what does a bridle do? It enables the rider to control the horse. Uh, an external thing that enables uh, the horse to be controlled. And the reason why God's law can be a bit like a bridle is because there's a role for it in civil society as a whole, just in society as a whole, as a way of restraining sin. That's the first use of the law, as it were, in society. And actually, we're in a society that's been heavily influenced by Christian faith, and so many of our laws have been influenced by God's commands and uh, some of the commands we see here. So, uh, for example, we live in a, in a society where murder is outlawed. And if you murder somebody, you can expect to be punished for that. And that is a way of law being used to try and restrain evil within society. Uh, same too in theory on theft. It's illegal to steal. And so there are laws against that. So that's the first use, as a bridle. The next two are the much more significant ones for us right now, I think, in our walk as Christians. Uh, the law can be there like a mirror. Um, and particularly here, I hope you notice, I've got a picture there of a sort of, that's your bathroom mirror. You know, the mirror where you really see uh, yourself really, really clearly. You know, terrible, and the lighting is so good, there's just no way of hiding. And uh, the mirror is a little bit like that. It, what it does is to reveal and expose 
our flaws, our sin. So as we come to the Ten Commandments, we will feel this. As we see what God's standards are, we begin to see how inadequate we are. We begin to see sin in our own lives, especially when we understand the full meaning of the different commands. Uh, Jesus particularly fleshed those out in the Sermon on the Mount. But even just reading through these, we can see how flawed we are. Uh, We're told not to covet. And that just shines a light on how quickly we covet stuff that other people have that we would love to have for ourselves. It exposes our sin. And actually, we do need that today. I I was... uh, reading an interview earlier today in one of the papers uh, with Michael Palin. Do you know Michael Palin? Of Monty Python fame and uh, a thousand and one travel documentaries. And he's one of these, he's just, seems such a nice guy. He is such a nice guy in so many ways. And um, uh, he was being interviewed about all sorts of different things. And interestingly, uh, the interviewer took it to where his thoughts on God are, his belief in God. And it's quite striking what he said. Let me just read to you what he said. He said this. uh, There there are times where various people said to me, Michael, you must realize that you are a sinner and your life needs to change. And I say, well, I know I must sin a bit, he laughs, but generally I try to live a fairly decent moral life. Now, I guess that Michael Palin is not abnormal in the way he's thinking. In fact, let's be honest, that's how most of us think. We think, well, yeah, okay, I get a few things wrong from time to time. But basically, I'm all right. I'm I'm not too bad a person. I, I basically keep God's laws. And if we think that, well, we need to look at the mirror of the Ten Commandments. Because that actually shows us that's not actually the case. As we look closely, as the Ten Commandments just peel away the layers and expose what is really going on in our hearts. And I hope and I imagine that that will happen to us tonight and over the course of the next few weeks as we look deeply at God's law. It's a mirror that exposes us as we really are. And just to say that is really helpful because we want to live in reality, don't we? We want to live as though, as things are really true. Uh, we don't want to pretend. And once we actually understand how deep sin is in our lives, that's the point at which we understand how great God's grace is. The deeper we understand our sin, the greater we understand God's grace. Uh, Tim Keller put it like this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. We can have this very shallow understanding of our sin and as a result, we have a very small understanding of God's grace. When we have a deeper understanding of our sin, we have a far greater understanding of God's grace. And that is a wonderful thing. So there's the place of the law as a mirror for us. Uh, And then finally, uh, 
the law, God's commands, are like a light. Uh, They show us the right way to live. In fact, they just simply show us how to follow Jesus, how to live like him, how to be godly. Now that we're saved, if we're putting our trust in the Lord Jesus, if we're receiving the forgiveness that we can have through him, through his death on the cross, him dying in our place, taking the punishment we deserve, that's the rescue of the Christian faith. And once we have received that forgiveness, we seek to follow Jesus in all our ways. And we will get it wrong again and again. But any Christian will long to be more like Jesus. And we need to know what that looks like. How does that look? And God's law shows us what that looks like. Shows us what it looks like to follow Jesus. Shows shows us what it looks like to be fully human. And these Ten Commandments, yes, they are embedded deep here in the Old Testament. And we need to understand them through the light of the gospel, through the light of Jesus, as we'll seek to do week by week. We're not Old Testament Israel. We're not a nation state. So God's laws in the Old Testament need to be understood through the ministry and the work of Jesus. But there is much we can learn here. God is the same God. People haven't changed. And these Ten Commandments particularly point us to foundation principles that just run through history. So, uh, that's a a long introduction, which is half the talk. Uh, But I wanted to do that because I think that's just really important foundational stuff as we come uh, to look through these Ten Commandments. Last week, we looked at the first one. Uh, There in verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, put God first. Put him in the driving seat of our lives. Not in the passenger seat, not in the boot, not out of the car. Put him in the driving seat of our lives. Put God first. The second commandment is this. Know who God is. Know who God is and worship him as he really is. Let me read from verse 4 again. You shall, ha- you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or on the waters below, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents, the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, it's worth saying, uh, this command is very closely related to the first because both rule out idols. You have to have, we're to have no other gods before us and we're not to make for ourselves an image in the form of anything of this world. So loving God means not to take anything from this world, neither in the heavens above, the earth beneath, or the water under the earth. In other words, all the different spheres of creation, nothing from creation are we to take and then to bow down to and to worship whether that's a piece of art, a carved bit of wood, a person, an idea, we're not to take any of the stuff of this creation and to worship it. Quick sidebar, does this mean half the Bibles in this church, which are children's Bibles with images of Jesus, are wrong? Um, Is that that a problem? Uh, We can chat more about that a little bit later on. Uh, Is it wrong to uh, portray Jesus, for example, in films, 
or paintings. Uh, very quickly, I don't think this command rules that out. Uh, God did take on flesh and blood. Uh, God sanctioned image of himself, of course, in Jesus. Uh, but here's the thing. When we make our own images, it does rule out worshipping God through them or praying to them. Now, there's one amazing example of this in the Old Testament, which happens, would you believe it, just a few chapters later in the book of Exodus. And that is the story of the golden calf. I don't know if you know the story of the golden calf. It's an amazing story. It's breathtaking, actually. Your draw hits the floor when you think, what is going on here? Because uh, God has announced the Ten Commandments. Moses is at the top of Mount Sinai receiving them. And he's been there for a while. And all the Israelites are further down. And they're beginning to grow a bit restless. What's going on with Moses? What is happening? And they go to Aaron and they say to him, look, I don't know what's going on here, but um, can you make something that we can worship? Can you, can you make um, something so, you know, the, the gods who've taken us out of Egypt, we want to, to worship. And so amazingly, I mean, amazing enough to ask that, even more amazing, Aaron says, okay, well, why don't you just give me all the gold that you've got. This was gold and stuff that they had uh, pillaged from the Egyptians as they left. Uh, it was actually gold that was supposed to be used for the tabernacle. Uh, but what they did was to uh, gather it all together. And you might like to turn on to Exodus chapter 32 and just read what happens there. I mean, there's, you can read the whole chapter later on. But Exodus chapter 32, page 90, And here we read what happened. Verse 3. Let's take it from verse 3. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Now, what is going on here? Um, this is a classic example of disobedience of the second commandment. And strikingly, what is going on here is not so much that they are creating a different God, a new God. They're actually seeking to worship Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the Lord, through this calf, this physical thing that they've made out of all this gold. In other words, what they're doing is worshipping a diminished God. Not necessarily so much a different God. Uh, do you see that in verse 5? Aaron said, tomorrow there'll be a festival to the Lord. But they've just diminished God. They've reshaped him. They've refashioned him. So it's really interesting. If you think about image what we tend to do 
spend, we spend lots and lots of time curating our image. And what we do is we sort of give ourselves an uplift of our image. Uh, we present an image that's a little bit greater than what the reality is. That's what we tend to do. What they're doing here, the Israelites, is doing the exact opposite to God. There is God, and what they're doing is they're shrinking him down to a golden calf and seeking to worship him through this. And it is terrible because it is not who God is. Just think how much God is being diminished by this form of worship. Uh, Jen Wilkin written a book on the Ten Commandments, and she uh, plays this very, uh, uh, contrasts who God really is and who the golden calf is brilliantly. And let me just read the quote that she says. Here's speaking of the golden calf compared to God. The golden calf, it is small, but God is immense. It is inanimate, but God is spirit. It is location-bound, but God is everywhere, fully present. It is created, but God is uncreated. It is new, but God is eternal. It is impotent, but God is omnipotent. It is destructible, but God is indestructible. It is of minor value, but God is of infinite value. It is blind and deaf and mute, but God sees, hears, and speaks. And that is true of all the idols, or all refashioning of God. Uh, that is the problem of trying to create gods, whether physically or even in our mind. We so easily diminish, even when we think this is the God of the Bible, we can so easily diminish. So we see how the Israelites got it so horribly wrong so quickly. And we might think, well, okay, we're, we can, we're okay, we haven't done that. But how easy it is, how easy it is for us to carve our own image of who we think God is in our minds. I've sort of just put down a number of different ways in which we can do it. There are tons of ways we can do it. How easy it is to have a pick and mix God. You know, pick and mix. Um, you go up to all the, the different options and you sort of pull out the things you really like, the sweets you really like, and you create your own little bag. And how easy we can do that with God. We take the bits of God we really like and we ignore the bits we're not so keen on. Uh, we do that whenever we think. I like to think of God as. Uh, for me, God is. Those phrases can reveal a lot about how we reshape God. We have a pick and mix God. We take bits of the Bible we like and we slightly ignore the bits we don't like. We can do that through actually thinking it through. Sometimes we just do it functionally. They're just parts of the Bible we just don't like going to because it shows us a side to God that we're not quite so keen on. How easy it is to have a pick and mix God. How easy it is to have what we could call a ticket to heaven God. In other words, we sort of see God, he'll look after me for eternity. I trust him, I prayed the prayer, I'm in his kingdom. Um, but he doesn't really have a big impact in all my life. Maybe he's just a Sunday God. He's there for Sundays, the rest of my life, I don't really think of him. But God wants all our lives. He is Lord over everything. Link to this. Maybe uh, we have an insurance policy, God. When all is well with the world, we kind of ignore him. But it's just nice to know the insurance is there. And so when things go wrong, we can go to him. 
treat God like that. God, again, is God of all our lives. He gives us every breath that we have. Sometimes we can simply shrink God. So we can look at him like the telescope, the, the wrong way around. And he's just much smaller. And uh, we can do that. We can underestimate his grace. We can underestimate his capacity for love, his capacity for mercy. And maybe we can very easily caricature God. Maybe we see him as a harsh and a domineering God. Or a slightly insipid being. We can shrink him, misshape him. Maybe we simply have a tame God, one in our control. And in fact, that's true for all of these. We are taming God, trying to tame him. But God is God. Wonderfully, God has made himself known as he really is. That's what the book of Exodus is all about. That's actually what the Bible is all about. And it's what Jesus is all about as well. God reveals himself to us as he actually is through Jesus. And we're not free to reshape him, to tame him, to remold him. To do so is to break this second commandment. It's a failure, actually, to love God. And then this has consequences. It's striking, isn't it, how um, verse 5 says how God punishes the children for the sin of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Um, we could spend a lot of time trying to understand what that's saying. I think at the very least, that's simply saying that sin sort of often goes down through generations. When we get things wrong, it just sort of trickles down. But contrast that to God's far more powerful love, verse 6. But he shows love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. His love is so much more powerful and has the power to completely change and transform any situation as we come to him. So here we go. The first commandment says, put him first. The second says, know him for who he, he really is. Worship him for who he really is. Don't settle for a diminished God. God is the creator of all things. He made everything out of nothing. He is self-sufficient, eternal, perfect, all-knowing. He is everywhere, all-powerful, unchangeable, incorruptible, perfectly wise and good and loving and just and righteous and holy and beautiful. That is who the Bible reveals God to be. And we need to keep coming back to God's revelation. We were hearing this morning from Daniel how God is the great revealer. We need to keep coming back to God's revelation, to see him, to know him as he really is, to come back to Jesus, the image of God. And to walk away from the ways in which we've misshapen, we've diminished him in our lives. Now, as we spent time look, looking at this, no doubt this is acted as a bit of a mirror. We've seen ways in which we've got God wrong. And that's not a bad thing, to recognize where we've got that wrong. Sin in our lives. Misunderstandings of who God is. And as we do so, we come to him afresh, seeking his grace, seeking his forgiveness, knowing his grace, his grace that is infinitely greater than our sin. And then we seek to live in his light, 
to know him as he really, truly is. And one of the great ways we can do this is to sing truths about him. As we sing, it's one of the brilliant ways of just reminding us who God really is. And we're going to do that uh, together now. So why don't the band come on up? Let's just take a moment to allow God just to point out where perhaps in our lives we've diminished him, misshapen him, reduced his glory, and to turn to him as he really is. Let's stand together. I'll lead us in prayer and then we'll sing of him. Father, we're so sorry for how easily we diminish who you are in our hearts. And Lord, we pray that we would keep coming back to your word, keep coming back to your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to see you as you really are. And to come before you and to bow down and know you as our gracious, loving, glorious king holy and righteous. Lord, would who you are grow in our lives. Help us have a right understanding of you and to long to live for you and not to worship a diminished form of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.